Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. This is your host, Rob Spee. Welcome to episode number eight of Channel Journeys. Thank you so much for listening. Last week, we had a fantastic guest from Ireland, Mike Kelly. And this week, we are jumping over to England to talk with another channel entrepreneur, Jackie Rand. Jackie cut her channel teeth with some big names in the technology world, including Microsoft. She is the co-founder of a company called Channelizer that started out as an industry network platform for vendors to find new partners. Channelizer has since grown into much more than that. They now also offer a social platform that vendors are using to communicate more effectively with their partners, from the strategic partner all the way down to the long tail. Not too long after we recorded this episode, Jackie released her first book for channel marketers titled Socially Inept, so I hope to have her back on Channel Journeys to tell us all about it. But now, let's get started with Jackie Rand's channel journey. Here we go. Hello, Jackie. Welcome to Channel Journeys. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks very much for inviting me. Good to be here. Excellent. And where do we find you today? Um, in the English countryside, actually, just south of London um, and north of Gatwick, where it's just started to snow. It's very much January here in the UK. A beautiful winter day in, in outside of London. Indeed, indeed. I'm not quite sure about the beautiful, bit chilly. <laughs> well, to get us started, I always like to do a warm-up to help our audience get to know our guest. So mm-hmm. I've got a couple of lightning round questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, crumbs. Right. Okay. Ready? Yeah. All right. First one. I'll make it easy. What's your favorite food? Uh, bangers and mash. Bangers and mash. All right. <laughs> okay. How about sports? Have you got a favorite sport? I love racing, horse racing. I'm passionate about it um, and, and watch it whenever I get the opportunity. Really? Did you ride horses yourself? I did for very many years, yes. Um, gave up probably about four years ago um, because you're not quite as agile as, as you are when you're younger, but still very much enjoy watching. Excellent. So you love going to the races? I do indeed, yes. Cheltenham, over the sticks. And do you love betting on the races? Uh, afraid so, yes. I'm, I'm a very, <laughs> I'm, you know, it's like a pound each way. Um, I'm, you know, not a big better, but uh, I still enjoy it. I, I did a little bit of uh, horse race gambling back in high school. There was a racetrack. I grew up in Seattle, and um, near town, there was a racetrack that I would go to and would put down like the $1 or $2 win play show or whatever. I can't even remember exactly how it works now. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't need to actually bet a lot to just get excited and, and feel that you're taking part. So oh, yeah. I'm very happy to put my pound on and, and um, yeah, just feel involved. Excellent. Fun. Um, what's the most interesting place you've lived in or perhaps visited? Uh, actually this last, uh, summer visited Scotland and I have traveled around the world, spent quite some time in, in lots of amazing places, but oh my goodness, it takes your breath away. It is stunning and did a cycle ride actually from sort of coast to coast and um along Loch Tay and this summer the weather was amazing and very beautiful um yeah it is absolutely breathtaking I would recommend it to anybody 
um, to go and spend some time in Scotland. You could be in, you know, all sorts of places like New Zealand where they, they talk about fantastic countryside. But um, I think uh, Scotland uh, stole, stole it for me. Wow. Isn't it funny how we find sometimes the most beautiful places so close to home? Yes, absolutely. So planning on doing not dissimilar and actually ride coast to coast along Hadrian's Wall. So cycle uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast um, and just um, investigate some of the, the history along Hadrian's Wall. Um, and it's, again, great countryside to go and uh, go and look at as well. Do you do a lot of cycling? Not a lot. I'm not a great fan of road uh, cycling, but doing those when you're on the tracks in the stunning countryside, then um, and I can just about get my act together and, uh, and go and investigate some of the sightseeing. So these are organized tours that you do? Um, no, it's it's kind of a private company. It's called Skedaddle. So they take your bags from place to place because I kind of like my creature comforts. Yep. So you cycle from place to place and your bag with your high heels and your hairdryer arrive at the next nice hotel. So it's very, <laughs> very civilized. Very civilized. <laughs> yeah, and you feel like you really deserve a nice dinner at the end of it as well and the gin and tonic. So, yes, it's a good way of doing it. Wow, excellent. Have you heard of, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a bike ride that went from London to Brighton. Yeah, they do that every year. I think my husband's done it a number of times, actually. Uh, we did a cycle ride from London to Paris uh, last May. And again, that's um, fabulous. But the roads over here in the UK are just um, lethal, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't recommend it riding on the roads unless you really know what you're doing. My wife and I, we lived in London years ago and had our bikes there with us. And, and we did that London to Brighton ride. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. And they, do it, and, and they do actually stop the traffic, which I think is, is great. Yeah, it was a huge group of people. It was, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. Thousands do it every year. Well, excellent. Well, let's, let's jump into from cycling to channels. And talk about your channel journey, how you've gotten to where you are today with Channelizer. And uh, take us back, you know, when you were graduating from university, did you have, a, have channels in mind? Did you even know what channels were? No, not really. Um, I kind of, uh, I did a degree in economics and politics and maths and ended up in a computer software company in, back in the 80s, um, then went to Ashton Tate. So that was the days of D-Base and the kind of green screen and, um, and so forth. So from Ashton Tate, went to a company called MyGent, where we sold kind of like a Microsoft Office um, competitor or tried to. And, um, and then Peter Norton, for the Norton Utilities. So I have a bit, you know, a history of, uh, of working for software vendors and developing their channels at, at various different levels in marketing and, and partner management. And then more recently, back in 2000, worked for Microsoft for about 10 years. And they are, as you know, um, probably one of the most channel-centric organizations and left there in 2011 to form a channel consulting business. And even then, actually, when you're in a software vendor or a vendor, you don't necessarily call it channel. That's much more of a consulting term. You call mm -hmm. them partners and alliances and so forth. So it wasn't really kind of like in the channel until, I, uh, until as I say, 2011. Uh, my business partner, Anne Lampton, and myself, um, we, we formed a channel consulting business. And it's from that that Channelizer was born because we were helping companies, vendors, find 
new channel partners. When you haven't got Microsoft in your name, that's really hard to do. They don't come to you. You have to go find them. And actually identifying and, and connecting with those right kinds of um, other IT companies around the globe is, is a very, very hard thing to do. So oh, that's yeah. Really, yeah. So that's really where Channelizer began, effectively as kind of like the match.com of the IT industry. So you could find and connect with another IT company, whatever it was you were looking for. So if you're a vendor looking for channel partners or a reseller looking for a solution, um, that's really what you want to do. So you you can um, kind of go through a series of tick boxes and find the right companies and then connect with them at the company level and, and build, begin to build those relationships. Right, right. Well, before we dive deeper into Channelizer, you mentioned Peter Norton, and I saw in your LinkedIn profile you were talking about opening up kind of the European theater for them. Yeah. And yeah. and find and was that through finding distributors or straight to the partners? Um, mostly finding distribution um, mm-hmm. through Europe, so um, in, into Germany and France, uh, so both southern and northern Europe, and also began to actually go into Eastern Europe. So I remember traveling to Budapest before the curtain came down and um yeah it was fascinating um I'm, I'm not quite sure how they were commercializing it but yeah just finding distribution partners um around europe who were looking to sell the norton antivirus products yeah i'm running norton security on my on my laptop today it's a still very popular product was was that during the acquisition then with Symantec? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, saw through the acquisition of Symantec and then consulted with them for a while to transition the business in terms of the people, distribution, etc. Um, Symantec even then was considerably larger than Peter Norton. Um, but it's nice to see Peter's face is still actually on the uh, um, on the boxes, although you rarely get them, get boxes these days. It's uh, it's delivered as a download. Um, That's but, right. But his picture's still there, which is, is nice to see. You no, know, when I joined Peter Norton, there was only sixty people in Santa Monica, so it was, it was still relatively, yeah, relatively small. So you had a chance to meet him. Oh yeah, yes, met uh, Peter many times um, in Santa Monica. I've also been lucky enough to meet uh, Ben Rosa, Ben Rosen, the founder of Compaq, mm-hmm. uh, and who supposedly. Um, invented the compact computer on a on a, a, a napkin in a in a bar, um, and I met um, uh, Bill Gates as well at the um, SPA, the Software Publishing Association conference down in Cannes when I was at Peter Norton as well. So I've been around rather a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, me too, me too. And all those names bring back a lot of great memories. And those were, you know, really fun times, times of huge growth and change. And I yeah. think we're I think we're re-entering that kind of exciting period again. I, I, I agree. Um, Jay McBain does a great job at Forrester in producing some kind of stats and um, predictions for 2019. And um, you know, it's very evident in the work that we do that um, you know there's a number of those predictions which are uh, you know, coming true in terms of the increased number of vendors and, and uh, software solutions out there. Um, just growing because of mobility, because of the Internet of Things and the complexity of them as well, so that no, no IT company can really work in isolation anymore. They all need to partner up, whether you're a reseller or a vendor or whatever. You need to find those other companies to work with to take a kind of combined solution to market for the customers. So there's a lot of trends, I think, that are affecting 
the way in which uh, companies go to market. Another way, the thing that we're very acutely aware of is there's something like two and a half billion social media users daily. I mean, daily. It's phenomenal. Um, And that the millennials who are now all in business are the ones who are used to using these platforms. They grew up with technology. They grew up with mobility. And so they want to work in that kind of quick, instant, now way. Um, you know, they're they're less likely to send all their friends an email to say, should we meet down the pub? You know, they'll, they're used to using platforms and, and sending messages quick fire and getting responses. So I think a lot of vendors need to kind of um, just approach the way they work with their partners and the marketing people in partners who are invariably those millennials, actually. They need to approach the way they work with them differently and maybe um, interact with them in a different way rather than just through emails. Yeah, absolutely. There's a need for that. And you see it in direct sales. Uh, mm. You see people using LinkedIn much more effectively, I think, in in uh, finding new customers, prospecting, communicating with, with prospects through LinkedIn. I think we're still at the very early stages of leveraging it effectively and leveraging social effectively in the channel. I, I absolutely agree. Most of the channel tech companies that, again, Forrester have done a great job in profiling, focus on the transactional side. Because it's the vendors that have been the ones kind of dictating what technology they bring on, they need to keep their finger on the pulse of the numbers. So it stands to reason. It's all about deal reg, pipeline and uh, historical transactional data, which, um, you know, they obviously need to be able to report on and look at trends, etc. But it's not um, technology that helps drive the actual relationships it's all about, you know, pipeline, finding out what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's something we feel passionately about that in a channel, you need a mix. You need, obviously, to know what's going on with your incentives and your program and, and the transactional side of things. But you also need to actually be driving those relationships. Um, and to use one of the Forrester phrases here, the old long tail partners. Mm-hmm. So those are the smaller ones, the niche ones, the the ones that aren't active all the time, and invariably you don't even know why they're not. But you know they may be doing some other business, um, but they're still important. Um, and so having technology that enables you to interact with them um, without increasing your workload is crucial, so that they still feel kind of part of the fold and and valued so that they're getting targeted, nice messaging that relates to them um, from you as a vendor, um, rather than just a kind of blanket newsletter that has all 20 items of news, and they, you know, only one of them will be relevant. So it's just important that, as I say, vendors use those kind of social techniques and levers um, and, and making sure that their, all their partners feel valued. I was just having a conversation yesterday with a vendor about how much attention to put on the long tail and how do you continue nurturing them and should you for that occasional opportunity that pops up is, is are are your customers using Channelizer for that purpose? Yes, absolutely. Um, so just in context, Channelizer provides a partner portal with all of those sort of social features built in. So it's your own private uh, social platform, social network, or it can add to your existing portal if you've already got um, technology that it needs to integrate to. Um, and yes, partners are using, or sorry, vendors are using it for just that. So their top five, 10% of their partners will be PAM managed, partner account managed. So they'll have that direct 
relationship one-to-one. But the rest need to have some kind of dialogue and need to get a response, need to ask questions um, and need to interact and find content, etc. And so, yes, um, absolutely, Channelizer facilitates that in a nice way, you know, in a, in a kind of social way rather than, as I say, just a kind of blanket email to the rest. So it's a nice way of including them in what's going on and giving them uh, reasons to be sort of loyal and engaged with your content. The other real reason is the other point that for us to bring out about uh, kind of one of the key trends is that whole partner to partner piece that they're looking for other partners to work with. So it could be in that kind of the long tail, you could have some real specialist skills or they might address a particular vertical and your big partner may need that in the deal they're doing. So they need to be able to reach out and find those other long tail partners to put a great deal together and, and go to market and meet the needs of the customers. So it's, as I say, it's it's ensuring the long tail feel included and inclusive, and um, you can have an ongoing exchange with them without workload because it's all done digitally. And also including them with that kind of partner ecosystem feel when you've got lots of different types of partners that need to work together. And you mentioned at the beginning a, a third reason people use Channelizer, which was more to find partners. So that's our industry network. So the same technology is is used in both. So the partner portal is effectively a white label version where you have your own version of the social platform on your partner, uh, um, on your portal or website. That's all yours and your partners go on there. Our industry network is the same technology, but it's open to IT companies around the globe. And that's where you can do, as I said, the sort of the match.com and tick a a bunch of boxes and say, I'm a vendor looking for a channel partner based in the UK that has specialist skills in ERP and supply chain in the retail sector, et cetera. So it's quite granular in the way in which you can construct your, um, your search. And then what's really important is you can connect at the company level not just the individual level, because people come and go and you need to build those ongoing company to company partnerships. Um, And so that's very key, we think. Interesting. Who is from the vendor side? Who is primarily the user? Who's going in and interacting with partners and posting content? Is that typically assigned to one person or are multiple people in the company leveraging that? It's most effective when it's multiple. Most effective when it's the marketing person who's, um, we have a concept of a huddle. So if you think LinkedIn group, but a whole lot more. So basically you can invite people, if, as, a, as a vendor, you can invite people into your different huddles. So you might have one for marketing best practice, one for technical, one for a particular product, one for a vertical, one for a project even with specific partners. And those can be public or private. And so you would in that instance, have your marketing person uploading content to the marketing best practice and everybody in there would be the marketing person from the the partners and they'd get an automatic update when something uh, new has been added to their huddle around marketing. Mm -hmm. So they're getting the right information, targeted, focused, relevant to them. Somebody in technical, ditto. So you want somebody in there that's from your technical team. And then on a project team, you know, it could be a sales guy who's driving a, a, a project forward um, and needs uh, the different uh, salespeople from two or three partners and they need a private kind of project group to share and and collaborate and, and talk amongst themselves privately. So as I say, yeah, it's, 
it works best when you have more than one person engaged from a vendor because um, rather than what happens traditionally with the sort of PAM managed, everything goes through that partner account manager. So there's a funnel, which is good in a way, but it does mean that there's a limit to how much they can spread the news around the rest of the partner team, et cetera. So this way you can, you can spread the news and, and, and um, have that dialogue and interaction, but without the, the workload being a burden on, on one particular person. Right, right. I'm curious, what prompted you? What inspired you to create this? Sounds like a, a really interesting and valuable solution. I guess originally it was the Match.com process. That was, it was hard. It was so hard trying to find partners for a a small um, ERP retail specialist vendor in New Zealand who were looking for partners in the States and in Asia Pacific and in the UK. And it was really hard to find the right kind of partners. So the ability to do that really became, um, you know, the, the sort of the founding principle and vision for Channelizer. So making it easy to find, locate and connect with other companies. And then it was kind of market demand because some vendors don't want to do that in a public domain. They want to have their own social platform and social portal. So we basically have produced a, uh, a white label version, a partner portal of channelizers so that vendors can actually have that privately in their own firewall, their own instance. It's on Microsoft Azure um, and it's, it's, it's their own instance of that social platform that they can then populate with their own partners. Got you. So when you launched this, was this out of a consulting project that you were doing trying to find partners? It was a number of consulting projects. We did consulting projects for all the big names from, uh, you know, HP to SAP to Microsoft to um, Cisco. And we worked with lots of the big, um, very well-respected consulting companies in the U.S. because most of those bigger vendors have their HQ based in the U.S., so we work with um, Partner Path and the Channel Company um, and ESG Global, helping them with doing some partner research um, in Europe and finding partners. Um, a particular project I remember for SAP, they were looking for retail-focused partners. And it was always that challenge to find the right profile of partner. If you, if you try and put a search into Google with all of those, those kind of um, you know, concatenated search, it, it, it really throws up all sorts of strange things. And even trying to do it on LinkedIn, if you've ever really tried to kind of go for kind of resellers in a particular area, it, it's really hard to do. So that was the, the original kind of goal and vision, just to help IT companies find each other with using sensible, intelligent industry um, search terms. How many partners do you have now in that industry network? It's about 3,000. Mm-hmm. We do monitor everybody that comes in because um, we don't want anyone in there that is not going to be valuable to the community. And over time, we hope that that will grow so that anybody that puts in a search will yield a useful result. It's by no means co- you know, fully comprehensive. We understand that. But we are still a you know, relatively small company based in the UK. Um, and so we need to curate that community to ensure it's valuable. It may not give you all the results, but it should give you one or two good, valuable results. And is that global? You have partners from around the world? Yep, global. And there's a good mix 
from all the continents. There's kind of hot spots in the UK, obviously, North America, um, India, some of Ukraine as well. Um, and that's a mix of vendors, resellers, service businesses, and professional services businesses who um, you know, bring services to the IT industry as well. Right, right. So you can find a variety of different types of partners that you may need. Absolutely, yes. What's been your biggest challenge in, in launching this company and growing the company? I guess, wow, um, looking for funding and not letting that detract from actually running the business. So I think that's been a challenge. It's not something I've done before. I've worked in vendors, large and small, but not been involved in that kind of, um, you know, looking for um uh, shareholders and funding. So that's been a challenge, a fascinating one, um, doing, you know, pitching your business to an entirely different audience, you know, potential investors. That's been the challenge. And we are very lucky. We have some fantastic investors who've been uh, very supportive um, uh, for us as well. I guess some of the other challenges um, technology-wise, actually, initially, we worked with some UK developers. And I'm sure there's some very, very good ones but actually, we found that switching to a Ukraine development uh, team has been fantastic. Um, you know, they are very, very responsive and have done a fantastic job for us. So I think, you know, you, you do need to look around at sort of some of the low cost economies, um, but they are, they're great. They are excellent at the job and really responsive um, and have worked uh, it's been invaluable to us because uh, we're coming at it from more business basis and they've really helped understand the business objectives and put that in the spec and deliver the technology. That's you know, it's quite a, a unique skill set that they've delivered to us. Isn't it incredible, though, the talent that you can find for mm. product mm. development, for marketing, for anything that you need, uh, the, the economy that's out there online to find just great people to, to do this work for you? Absolutely. I mean, the whole gig economy thing is um, exploding. It, you know, somebody was asking me the other day when they were talking about some consultants on the project, well, why don't they all um, work for your company? It's like, well, people don't do that anymore. People, you know, that doesn't mean they're not loyal. They will continue to work with us and for us on projects but they don't they don't have to become an employee the old fte is 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 not a thing of the past but it's it's not a required um element in in today's economy and i, I agree with you you can therefore find fantastic resources for um, graphics and development and all sorts um with these outsource um companies and outsource individuals that you can bring into the fold nice and easily yeah, it's fantastic for, for entrepreneurs who want to build a company. Mm-hmm. You know, a, another question came to mind, thinking about your channelizer product and who's using it. And is it, do you find that it's changing behavior within the vendors? I know some technologies, and I've used some, that I actually used to build best practices within my team. Do you see that? Do you see channelizer having that impact? It does. It, um, it happens slowly that... The, there's a there's always a reticence. It, let's say in some of the sort of the older members, and you know I can say that because I'm over fifty. You know, using social platforms, we're a little timid, we're a little reticent to kind of post things and, and so forth. We've all been through that stage when you you know your first post on LinkedIn or whatever. But after a while, actually, you can see that the workload is helped. 
by doing just that. Because if you're posting something, it's shared to your community. They're informed about it. They get notifications. And then they can ask questions. And somebody asking a question, you can be sure that actually, if something's not clear, someone else would have asked that as well. And you'd have had three or four phone calls. Now, because it's been posted, ah, oh, yeah, that's sort of lightning bulb for a number of people. So sharing that begins to see, as you say, best practice within a community that they can see the workload actually is is less as a result, not more. And, and that takes a little time, takes a little getting used to um, and get over that sort of initial reticence. Um, but once you get past that point, absolutely, it becomes an invaluable tool. Excellent. So what's next for Channelizer? Is it more growing what you have today or are there any new features that you want to talk about that might be coming? The, the, the roadmap is, is ongoing and uh, there will always be new things we're looking to do. But I think really what we want to do is establish a, a firm customer base in Europe um, and, and, and work with some of our partners in the U.S., um, you know, as I say, we're, we're a small company based in the UK. And so we are working with partners to help us expand into different geos in the same way as, you know, why, why vendors do it, uh, you know, looking for channel partners. So we're the same. So we're looking to expand our customer base in Europe um, and, and really look to, to help some vendors and distributors add value to their partners and, and, and their partner ecosystems and then find and work with more partners in um, some of the other geos, as I say, particularly North America, um, where we can add that sort of social flavor to perhaps some uh, channel consulting businesses and how they operate or even other technologies as well um, that that offer some of the more transactional-based um, elements of a, of a PRM perhaps. So I think that's our, our next stage for 2019 is, is expand um, customer base in Europe and look to partner in other places around the globe. Interesting. Okay, good. So uh, for people who are listening to this podcast, where should they go to learn more about the platform, uh, whether it's to find a new partner or leverage these other social tools that you're talking about? Okay, there's two websites. Um, They're both connected, so you can hop from one to the other. Uh, Channelizer.com, that is the, and that's with an S, because we're proud to be British. Um, And that's where, that's the industry network, 3,000 members. Do an advanced search, you can find potential partners. Um, and then channelizersolutions.com is where you can learn about our social partner portal and some of our other services. Um, and on either one of those, then just connect with myself, Jackie Rand, and my business partner, Anne Lampton. You can connect with us as individuals on the portal or just drop us an email off either of those two um, websites. Okay, excellent. So was there anything that I didn't ask you, Jackie, that you were hoping we might talk about? No, I think we've covered everything uh, from um, my, my background far too many years ago. Um, I, think, I think the other thing perhaps I, I should mention is I think that anybody listening this, to this as a woman in channels, there's so much opportunity. Um, there really is, you know, you don't have to be in, um, you know, a technical role, but the partner account management and channel account management, they're very relationship based. And traditionally, women are great at those roles. And the marketing and channel roles, you know, you know women millennials are, are, you know, doing a really excellent job in there as well. So I think, yeah, you know, shout out to the ladies because there's some great opportunities in, in the technology channel and anybody who wants to get in contact with me, happy to steer them in the right direction. 
That's excellent. Excellent shout out and great comment too. There are such great women in the channel that I want to interview for this show who have such interesting stories and are doing just amazing things. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you, Jackie. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Lovely chatting with you. And I look forward to doing more with Channelizer and uh, seeing what, how I can leverage it better. Excellent. Well, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. I had a great time chatting with Jackie. She's a lot of fun, and she highlights the importance of having a social strategy for your channel, just like your marketing team has for reaching customers. You can connect with Jackie and learn more about Channelizer through the links at the bottom of the show notes on channeljourneys.com. You can also find a link to her new book that she just wrote, Socially Inept, where Jackie describes how you can build and track social interactions with your business partners. I had a chance to read it. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. So thanks again for listening. And if you like the show, please do share this podcast with your channel friends. And also, please subscribe. Channel Journeys is available on my website, channeljourneys.com. It is also now available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Join me next week for an interview with Gary Lowe. He is an adventurous channel pro who took the leap from distributor to partner. Until then, make yours a great channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.